I didn't start that. Normally, Joel would walk back there, but he didn't this time. Well, he doesn't know. <laughs> All right. Um, so in our past couple, of, two lessons, um, we talked about the kind of like the differences between church and science, and we kind of did an overview. The first time, we talked about uh, a little bit about what Pastor talked about today, and this idea of epistemology and how we know what we know. And we talked about three of um, three laws of reason. We talked about um, how we talked about the law of contradiction and causality and the basic reliability of sense perception. So with the three, um, three things that we can't give up, because if we did give those up, um, that we would be speaking in nonsense language, we would be speaking in irrationality. And, it's, uh, and there are many times in history where um, Christians have looked upon these rules and say, well, these are things that Socrates came up with and Plato came up with, why do we need them? Socrates did not invent these things. He just was, happened to be the first recorded person to give names to something that God had created because God is a rational being. God does not say yes and no at the same time. He does not speak with a forked tongue. What God says is good is good, and what God says is evil is evil. He did not tell Adam and Eve to eat from the tree and not to eat from the tree at the same time. God is a rational, reasonable being. And as image bearers, he created us to be rational as well, and he created the world in a reasonable, rational way. And uh, the existence of things like miracles is uh, God showing or providing examples of cases in which something is happening that could only be happening by the existence of God, that God is with this person, and I'm going to create miracles. So things that violate the laws of science, as we would say, or perhaps the laws of creation would say, are not contradictions. They are God exercising his power as the creator to show or to communicate his intentions or um, to uh, show that this person is from me. And we talked about... Um, that the Bible assumes all of these things. The Bible does not speak in contradiction and does not contradict itself. Um, the uh, disciples believed and saw, they talk about what they saw and heard, and Jesus speaks about what they have seen and heard as if their senses are basically reliable, as what you see is not just merely an illusion, and that what you hear is not just trickery. So, and the Bible assumes that all of these things to be true. They're not just external laws that other people that we're trapped into using the laws that both that are created by God and uh, we ended that first time with kind of the understanding that we don't need to be afraid of science and that we shouldn't be in conflict because all truth is indeed God's truth to begin with God is the creator of all things and there's nothing there's no conflict created by science that can ultimately disprove the word of God and then in the second week, we talked about the example of, um, uh, of something that nicely lined up as, uh, I believe, close to the 50th anniversary of the Scopes Monkey Trial, which was a trial down in Tennessee over whether or not it was legal or not or someone had violated Tennessee law by teaching the theory of evolution in public schools. And there was a trial about it, a trial that was made into a big national event. And in that event, um, fundamentalists, 
uh, who and anti-evolutionists, um, who and these would be people who would uh, who would be seen as Christians of the day, who held to a tr strict reading of the scriptures and held to the five fundamental beliefs that the word of God is true, that God didn't, that Jesus did was indeed was indeed born as a human, that miracles were real that he physically resurrected and that there would be a second coming of Christ. So they believed and they had these five fundamentals and the fundamentalists argued, um, uh, were argued with uh, evolutionists at this trial and in it because of um, the way that the trial was going and the public opinion turned greatly against fundamentalism over the course of that historical trial. And fundamentalists were seen from that point onwards as um, backward thinking, uh, people who were intolerant and not willing to change and affirm real science and unintelligent in doing so. And from that point onwards in history, of the United States at least, you can see um, uh, considerable change and further progression of conflict between um, uh, the, Christ the American church and the study of science, or at least uh, conservative of evangelicalism in what was seen at the time as either modernist or liberal evangelicalism at the time. Um, and then... Uh, just this last Thursday at our church history class, we kind of got some of the fallout of this. So not all of you here were there for that. Um, but in that, they saw some of the fallout from this event. And it can be seen as this idea of fundamentalism changes over time from that point onwards. Um, that in some ways, the fundamentalists seemed to take upon uh, this caricature of backwardsness and not intolerism thinking, like, uh, into the sense that in some cases, some congregations even became anti-science, in which they said, you don't need, why is learning all that important? Um, uh, what kind of learning do we need to spread the gospel? All these colleges do is just um, make you more liberal in the long time. And in fact, uh, intermingling with other congregations is harmful because it just ultimately leads to liberalism and compromising the truth. And so you see a great turn amongst America, some American denominations and churches uh, to become more isolated and to kind of batten down the hatches as science becomes more and more um, aggressive in attacking uh, Christian teachings. So um, that's kind of what we talked about in the last two weeks. And then what I said we would talk about in these two weeks is I would try to pick out some specific topics that were given by you all of the things that we could discuss. And so we came up with a list and um, we don't have nearly enough time to go over all the things of the list. Um, but what today I wanted to start with talking about was uh, the biblical account in Genesis of the flood. So I'm going to read for us uh, the biblical account in Genesis 7, um, well, starting in Genesis 6, and then I'll jump into 7 to talk about and read the story of the flood as the Bible tells it. In Genesis 6, when human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them that they chose. 
And the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal, and their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children with them, and there were heroes of old, men of great renown. Verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them, the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made him. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then I'm going to, then goes on to talk about Noah and uh, the boat that, God had told him to create, but I'm going to jump ahead to seven to save some time. And so the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous. I found you righteous in his generation. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate. And also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that, did all that the Lord commanded him. And then it talks um, about Noah and his, and his family entered the ark with all the animals. And then on the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth. And the floodgates of the heavens were open, and rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have had breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God has commanded Noah, then the Lord shut him in. For forty days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, and all the creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds that from birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. And then it talks about, um, there's the part with the dove and the raven. And then... Uh, by the first, and then so Noah eventually stops, and as the olive branch returns, and then the dove doesn't come back the final time, and uh, verse 13 of chapter 8. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth, and removed from the covering that was dark, and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. So after, so Noah is able to leave the ark, and then a period after that, the earth dries up. And this is the biblical account. Let's pray and pray that God helps me in this as we go throughout this next part. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, 
Um, may we rely upon your wisdom. And Lord, may we not forget who you are. You are the creator of the heavens and the earth. And Lord, um, you have created us. And Lord, you have given us the ability to reason. And Lord, you have given us uh, the ability to communicate. Lord, you have made us as persons and creatures in your own image, Lord. And I pray that you would bless this conversation tonight and uh, that you would uh, keep us from any pride, Lord, and that you would enable us um, to trust in you and in your word. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so the story of a flood is one that we've probably all heard in Sunday school and uh, is heard throughout churches all over. And it also happens to be one of the stories in the Bible that in some ways, or by the world's thinking, is among the most unbelievable. Um, uh, second only to uh, perhaps creation. It's one of the most highly contested up there with creation itself, and then the virgin birth, and then uh, being risen from the dead. These are all topics that are um, very contradictory to what modern science would say. The idea that the entire earth would be covered with water uh, seems rather ridiculous. And there is some geological evidence, science would say, that it never did happen. And so I want to go over uh, some of that science as it's progressed. So um, in geology, uh, from the way I was understanding it, there is this phenomenon of when water recedes, and you can see this um, where there used to be oceans that have receded or lakes that have dried up. There is a layer of sediment. So uh, are you familiar with like a dry lake bed and we'll have like those cracks in it, right? And so there's a very clear layer that has the cracking in it and that happens from a place that was water no longer having water and drying up. So in the geological record, this creates a very particular layer um, that you can be seen as you're going through a cliff face. Um, and by layers, I mean like, um, just to make sure that we're on the same page, if you look, for example, at something like the Grand Canyon, they have layers that go upright of different colors, of different strata, they call those, of rocks, and those rocks have different compositions or of different types. Um, and so when there is something, and across all continents, you can find this layer of earth that is cracked like something has dried over time. Um, and uh, throughout over all the, all continents, you can find uh, lots of fossils and for of animals that have all seemed to die around, around the same time. And has often been a Christian defense that this layer of fossils uh, was most likely from a catastrophic event such as the flood. Then science, and so that has long time been an argument for an entire science uh, that Christians would use to argue for the scientific flood of a worldwide one that covers everything because you can see this layer of all these animals dying. However, there is also this layer of where uh, water has drained, what appears to have water has drained, and geologists would say, and can show in various places on the continent, where those layers are not necessarily on top of each other in the same way as they are in other areas of the continent. So as if I was trying to describe this, uh, if we say this red layer is the layer that shows that water had dried in that area, like from a lake or an ocean. 
is red. And we'll see that this blue layer, or purple layer, would be um, the layer of fossils that Christians have often said uh, is from the catastrophic event of the flood covering all the earth. So you would see it like this, in which you would have the fossil layers, and then as the flood dried, you would see this, as the waters receded, you should see sentiment on top of the fossil layer. And uh, there are many places across the world where this is indeed the case, where you can see it that way. There are places, though, where the layers look like this, or there are places in which it is multiple layers. And we would agree that the biblical account does not talk about multiple floods in different areas, or it's a one flood once and for all. And the covenant says at the very end, because at the end, God makes a covenant with Noah and says, I will never send a flood across the entire earth again. Um, so there is a strong scientific argument, and there's a lot more to it than this. Um, I'm trying to give the most simplest explanation of this, but this is in the geological record. Um, as you look down, you can see uh, these layers, and they would be contradictory, perhaps, to how we would maybe understand the Bible. So if we leave this as... Um, Let's call this the, what science says, the scientific view. Because I'm going to offer uh, what I think are a couple different views of what the flood could be. So the scientific view, oh no, I wasn't going to write. So the scientific view is there was never a flood to begin with. All of these layers come from millions and millions of Earth history, of which different events happened, meteors or whatever, and different creatures died out and over different areas. There is no evidence, geological evidence, for the presence of a flood. So that is what science would perhaps say, that there was no flood overall. Um, uh, the Earth is millions of years old. So if the geological record says this is true. If, if, we, if we take scientists at our word, then what is, uh, what, do you, what, are, what are possible responses that a Christian could have? So we've read the Bible. The Bible doesn't talk about the geological record, obviously, but the Bible tells us a story that we would hold to be true because we hold the scriptures to be true. And we would also hold to be true that, um, Jesus is the Son of God, and Jesus believed the Old Testament, the content of the Old Testament, and he thought it was true. So how do we respond, or what is a possible response we could give? So this is an actual question. What is a response we could give to this idea that uh, the geological record does not show evidence of a worldwide flood? How we, what is a possible response you could give? Let's get that on the microphone just for the recording scene. may have been one worldwide flood, but floods occur from time to time throughout the earth. Okay, so maybe there was one worldwide flood, um, but then the other layers that make it look like other multiple floods could just be smaller floods in other locations, maybe. That's a thought. Yes. Um, and I think they would say that um, across the continents, there is not, as I would say, one specific 
uh, fossil layer and one specific, like for, there is a specific fossil layer across all the continents, but the flood ones are not always on top of it or not always beneath it. So they would potentially say that there's not fossil evidence for an entire flood. But that is potentially one response. Maybe there were other smaller floods in different areas. Could be possible. What are other responses? Donna had your hand up. So I'm not an expert on floods, but if you have a big flood, if you have a big flood in an area, I don't know that there's anything in science that says all the ground has to shift evenly. It's not like blowing up a balloon where the whole thing got big and the whole thing shrunk back. It could be that different areas had different kind of rock and shifted differently. And if you look at the ground after a big flood, it's one flood and everybody knows today, everybody knows there was a flood, but I think you would see different shifts, different parts of the ground in different places that would not go back all the same way they were before. So there would be a shifting. So it is possible perhaps that um, what geologists have decided is proof of no existence of an overall flood. Perhaps they're mistaken. Is that kind of what you're saying? Because uh, who's to say that the sediment couldn't deposit in different ways? Sure, that is a possible response. What are others you had? Kind of on the same thing that Donna was saying is that all rock and sand is not, some is harder, some is softer, so it's gonna shift and move and, and uh, erode you know, at different rates. If you got like a really like sandstone versus like, you know, more of a solid rock, it's not gonna just, you know, do the same thing in a flood condition or even erosion sure. condition. It's, yeah, it's just gonna be different. Not only that, but it's not just a biblical account. We've watched stuff on this before where there are like drawings and caves and all kinds of stuff from all different kinds of tribes that say there was a catastrophic flood and it's not just a biblical account. Also, um, just the proof that this used to be one huge continent before it all broke apart. Um, so there's several different continents now after the flood um, that's been proven how the world has broken apart. So you're talking about this idea of like continental drift and Pangea, right? Which science would hold to. And, um, uh, and we brought up this idea of other historical myths and you're 100% you're correct. If you look in, um, Epic of Gilgamesh is the most popular one that we would point to. Um, and for some people even say that the Bible took this idea of the flood from the Epic of Gilgamesh. Um, uh, however, you can also see such a story of a flood occurring and a man building a boat to save people. And you can find this in ancient uh, Chinese texts. You can find this in ancient Nordic mythology. Uh, you can find this all in ancient... Uh, Native American stories as well. They're in many cultures across the globe. This is the idea of a 
massive flood that is saved by one person on a boat. And each of these different cultures take this mythology to teach a different thing or to mean a different thing or it's a different part of their mythology than perhaps the Bible was. But there is a lot of historical similarities. And this idea of Pangea is interesting um, because it has the shifting of the continents. And a lot of times uh, young earth Christian creationist uh, scientists or people who are defending this idea of the young earth because this idea of Pangea is that it would have to take over much longer than the 6,000 years perhaps that we young earth people would say the earth is. And so we can use the flood as this idea of a catastrophic event under which great changes underwent the earth. And so the Grand Canyon could be created by the receding of the flood waters over the course of the year of the flood waters receding rather than the thousands of years or the millions of years that geologists would say the Grand Canyon was created with. So this idea of the catastrophic flood event causing some of these phenomena. Yes, good arguments. Do you have your, okay. Are there any other I wasn't able to find, and granted I had uh, limited time to studying the specific theory, um, but it did talk about silt layers all over the place and not just in localized areas. Obviously they are more localized in coastal areas is where you see this and so that's how you know it's from, excuse me, the receding of water. Um, but there I have heard of things where at perhaps like the tops of mountains there are certain things like these, yeah. Perhaps, yes. But I can't say with 100% surety that they would agree with it. They would, I guess the primary argument is that saying even if it was, it did not happen all at the same time that they were under parts underwater at different times is the primary argument that they're making. So yes, everything may have been underwater at one point, but there is no spot where they can say that they were all underwater at the same time. So you're asking for different responses to this. So, right, so we've been proposing different scientific arguments would you also be looking for something like the response that says, I don't care what the evidence says, like, it doesn't matter. Like, like it's just God, God said it, I believe it, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to assume either God did it in a miraculous way that doesn't have the evidence that matches the science, what scientists are looking for, or they're lying and it is the, or you know, it is the way. It, I think that is a response. I'm not saying it's my response, but I'm saying that is a response a Christian might have. It's like, whatever, I don't care about the evidence to the contrary. Sure. That is definitely a response that I'm accepting. I, I would push for that their theory is assuming some things. 
and that their interpretation of the data might be wrong. That, that it's an interesting interpretation of the layer theory, but there might be other explanations. And so I would just say, keep studying. Is there other, op you know, so I would try to raise, like I said this morning, I would try to have them doubt their doubts a little. Glenn, you had something? I think he was echoing what Pastor Judd just said. It's a scientific theory. I mean, prove it. Who was here that many millions of years ago to prove that all these things fit together? I mean, it's all based on theory. Sure. Sounds good. Um, I want to offer one more possible response uh, that hasn't been mentioned yet. And this would be the idea of a localized flood theory. And so there is very clearly evidence in the uh, Middle East throughout the Fertile Crescent in the Israel area of all at the same time, um, one of these layers of sediment kind of occurring. So there seems to be some kind of geological evidence of a large flood. So Noah could have simply been someone who from standing on top of his boat in huge flood waters not being able to see around the curve of the earth, which is only 15 kilometers or so anyway. And for him, his entire world was covered by flood. So yes, so Noah did see his entire world covered by flood waters and wrote down this account for us. So that is a response that actually does have a lot of Christian support behind it, actually. There is a lot of, you can find places um, in which you can find an argument positing this. So I'm going to quick throw on here one possible response, and I'm not saying it's correct or not, is of a localized flood idea. Um, what the argument that, uh, uh, so the Christian source, or the, what was identifying as a Christian source that was arguing for this localized flood theory is that when he says things like the whole earth or all creatures or all the mountains, um, is an area of, um, uh, metaphorical exaggeration, which is used elsewhere in scriptures perhaps. Um, and so it did not intently mean, for example, um, why, one example that they gave is why would you need to cover Antarctica and wipe out all of the emperor penguins if there's no humans there and there never has been any humans on Antarctica for the whole time. This was the example that I had read in there. Um, and so their idea is, is that the scriptures are using figurative language to, sh uh, to make a point, and the point can still be the point that the Bible, that we would say the Bible is making, um, but it'll be a localized flood. Uh, Donna had your hand up. I wanted to add one thing to what Tom and John were saying about cultures, anthropologists, and a lot of missionaries who have gone into very primitive, very isolated places all of the peoples, when they learn the language and can talk to them, they all have a story of a worldwide flood. And no, no other people, but so there's that. My other thought that came after that was, these scientists, I wonder how many different types of places they studied the rock layers. Is it like desert? If you looked in Arizona, would you see the same thing? 
as you would see in the mountains or places that have volcanoes, like that one that was in Hawaii a few years, a few years ago, that totally reshaped a lot of that island. Layers showed up that were never there before. I don't know how many tons of lava came out and formed new formations and killed stuff. So if you were gonna find, you could find fossils in the layer. I don't know, how scientific are they and how widespread, how many different times the samples did they even look at to see if their data is representative of the whole Earth or just parts they wanted to look at? Sounds good. We would obviously want that if they're expressing this ideas of science that we would want them to have followed their scientific method and taken lots of samples all over. Um, now we are getting towards the end of time and so I don't, and so we have covered a lot of the responses. There's one that I think uh, we are missing and that one is, So one possible response that Christians could have is when faced with this geological evidence of these layers not matching up correctly, one possible response, if someone comes to that, is, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question right now of why there are certain layers that are fossil layers and there are certain layers um, that are water receding layers and those don't always line up throughout the world. If indeed the scientist is coming to me as being accurate on that, I can honestly say that I don't. I haven't done the same studies as said geologist. I um, can talk about these other things, about these other myths. Unfortunately, these other myths to this scientist is not scientific evidence. Yes, there is historical accounts, um, but that's not a response that I can necessarily give. Um, and uh, this, I don't care what science says or they're lying is a possible response and it could be true. Um, and many Christians have made the argument that science um, ignores facts that they don't find to be convenient or that they push down theories that contradict with the publicly held theories. However, and we can say that to be true, but ultimately we are being then exactly what they claim to us to be and we are choosing that that is a anti-science approach and I'm not gonna tell you right now that, that you, every scientist is 100% telling the truth. We know that they are failed people just as we are failed people. However, because I can't tell this scientist or someone who is reading this, um, Yes, I know what really happened, and I know that you're wrong in your geology and you're ignoring these other truths. I can't, in good spirit, say that. And if someday there is a young Christian who is going into school and encountering these for the first time, I don't know if that young Christian is going to find my all science is lying to you to be very convincing. So often do when faced with scientific evidence and geological evidence, how then is that seems to be insurmountable, just telling them, oh, they're just all hiding the truth from you and they're all lying, is not ultimately a very reassuring argument to a young person of how to interact with this difficult scientific question. 
And this idea of the localized flood, since no one else came up with this, I don't know if this is going to be a, uh, if you'll encounter this one very much, but this is one response that is given by Christianity at large. And this is a attempt to compromise with science. It's an attempt to, because science has told me that there cannot have been a global flood, I therefore have found evidence, though, that there has been large floods in uh, the Middle Eastern area, about where Noah could be. And so therefore, this idea of coming up with this idea of a localized flood seems to be a nice compromise because I'm not compromising what science is telling me and I'm still telling in the book of Genesis that there is indeed a flood and that yes, I can understand how Noah would standing on his boat see the waters in front of him and it would feel like the entire world. And so it seems like a rather safe and comfortable compromise, I would have to admit. Why not? Why is it not really a compromise? Fifteen feet over the mountains and about the high hills around where Noah was, perhaps. You have the good look on your face, the unbelieving like I am trying to push this one to where it's breaking point, because it does have a breaking point. The danger here of this position is a little bit betrayed in your perspective that this is Noah's story, but it's not actually. Moses wrote it down some thousand years later, and Moses got it from God. And so if it's true that God told Noah that there was a flood over the whole earth and it was 15 feet above the highest mountain, and he meant to describe what happened locally, then God's truthfulness to, to Moses is at question. And so I've just, I think I've given away the farm. You know what I'm saying? I don't think, it, it's a bigger problem than it first appears as a compromise. It would be true, if, if it were true that all human beings were destroyed by the flood anyway, like if, in other words, if you're granting that a localized flood killed all the human beings in the world, then you are also granting that the earth is young and that the human population is still limited to the Middle Eastern area. And if you've already granted that, then you've granted essentially the biblical account anyway. So I'm... so. It would be, if there were any human beings who did not get killed in the flood, then you really got a contradiction of Scripture, right? So you need all humans to die, which grants already the assumption that they're all local, which means the population of the earth is still limited and young, and so it goes with the rest of the Genesis account. So I don't know what you gain by making that compromise other than appearing to go along with the Middle Eastern geological record. Yes, you are, and not only, um, but Jesus himself talks about uh, the, just make sure I've got the right verse here. In Luke 17, verse 26, Just as it was, this is Jesus speaking, 
um, about the coming kingdom of God. Just as it was in the days of Noah, as it will also be in the days of the Son of Man, people who were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage, up to that day that Noah entered the ark, then the Lord, then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking. And then he talks about this also in the same passage and, or some same story in the book of Matthew. And then in both 2 Timothy and 2 Peter, the authors of those books also speak of the flood as an assumption of it as a historical fact. And if we are going, and in that, they don't take the comedy to say, see, what Mo, they don't change any account of the Genesis story. They don't perceive it as a metaphorical example. It's all mankind. And this idea, you know how I gave the idea of Antarctica and the penguins didn't need to be wiped out. Actually, no, yes, they did. Because it wasn't just on mankind upon which the curse has fallen. The very ground itself was cursed by the sin of man. So it's not just this idea that only humanity has to be wiped out or um, only the localized, only the wicked people around Noah had to be wiped out. The problem with this one it doesn't matter whether it fits with the geological record. What it does is it compromises the rest of Scripture itself. And at the very beginning, we, had, we affirmed that we believed that the Scripture was true and that what the Scripture said was true and that Jesus was the Son of God and that God created all of us. And Jesus himself says the Scripture is true. And though this is a compromise that fits with prevailing scientific theory it's following science it's not following the scriptures and this is a really easy compromise to make um, which word am I is a different word that I'm using sure what word should I do you think I'm using Uh, I'm fine. Good point. Prevailing is not the right word. I should say the modern scientific theory. By the modern scientific theory, I'm going on the predominant scientific theory believed by people nowadays. And if so, if you go to a public school and um, any nation on this earth and read their science textbook, the scientific theory that you're going to get in that one and the scientific theory of the geological record and that fits under the age of the earth and the creationism follows this idea. And so I guess that's what I'm trying to say by the modern scientific theory. And I would agree that this geological record, the theory really comes in its method in the 1960s uh, with the uh, idea of carbon dating and stuff like that. Um, so that's why I call it the modern scientific theories. Does that answer the question? Yes, very much so. And this is why I also, and so to finish this off, this is why I want to end with this last response of I don't know. And I want this to be seen as not the cop-out answer or the answer. I think, in fact, this might be one of the most acceptable answers to give, especially if, as we are in the case, we don't, I cannot answer every, at this moment, I cannot answer every 
scientific critique of the flood. I do know, what I do know is that um, I can argue of why I believe the scripture is indeed true and why Jesus is who he said he is. However, the Bible does not tell me about the geological record and why it is the same way that it is. I can go into nature and I can attempt to make the exact same scientific experiments that scientists are making and come to different or the same conclusions based on their process. We can try to audit the scientific and we should do those things. We should interlog with that. However, the scriptures itself does not provide a geological argument for this topic. And it doesn't need to, because that's not what the purpose of scripture is. And it's acceptable, I think, and I think it can be encouraging to remind people that it's okay to not have a specific answer to this scientific critique of why the sediment is at certain levels. Yes. All right, here's a hint for you. There was a Dutchman who invented lenses from homemade glass that were used for magnification. And a gentleman named Galileo disproved Copernicus. But Copernicus was prevailing science. And then Galileo became prevailing science. Except they completely contradicted each other. So prevailing is dangerous. What's prevailing? But, um, Connie, you had something as well. Because the church believed Copernicus. Yeah, so Tim was talking about this idea. Uh, Copernicus's prevailing theory was that um, the Earth was at the center of the solar system and that everything else revolved around it, and Galileo created the telescope and showed that that was not indeed the case and the prevailing theory was wrong. And this is a very interesting case in church history because at that time there were churches and the established church at the time uh, disagreed with Galileo and they would point to places in the scriptures in which they said, no, if the earth is going to have primacy, then it has to be in the middle. And then when scientific showed that that was wrong, so it was a case in which there was an engagement with science by the church that proved to be to the church's detriment. And it was about something that was not actually in the scriptures. And so I guess the argument that I'm trying to make here tonight, and you can disagree with it, that's an acceptable thing. Um, and we have to finish here. Um, but the argument I'm trying to make, just to summarize everything, is that it is okay to not have a specific answer to perhaps this area of the geological record yet. Or if you don't have it, that does not mean that science has beaten you. Because what we do know to be true, and if you would like an argument on how it's true, and you have many hours of time, then I can offer you a very interesting series about it. But we do know that God created the heavens and the earth, and uh, he, there is a creator, and who created the world rationally and reasonably, and he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. I believe that to be true. And that's Jesus. He was a reliable witness who we can trust. And he said 
that the Bible and everything in it is indeed true. And it spoke about him and about his coming. And part of that scriptures that he said was true was this flood, the story of this flood that wiped out all of mankind over the entire earth. And so I don't need to have this specific response to this geological data. And if I don't have it, I don't need to be, my faith is not compromised. And I have not become an intolerant person who's not following science. It's just that I happen to disagree with science's conclusions on this because just as Tim pointed out, the prevailing theories change all the time. And just because they think they have it all figured it out does not mean that some evidence won't come along later that changes their theories and ideas. Um, but I do not need to engage necessarily on a scientific shot-for-shot -shot level. I can trust in what the Bible says, and it is not intolerant to do so. So let's close in prayer there. There's lots more that we could discuss. And I thank you all for your patience as we go on past time. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that they're forgiving us um, that which can be depended upon, that which does not contradict itself and can be truly trusted. And I thank you, Lord, um, for all of those who are gathered here, Lord, and I know that you are gathered here also. And Lord, I, uh, I um, confess that there are many things that I am uncertain about or things that I do not know as of yet, Lord, and that there are... Uh, you call us, Lord, to be able to provide a reason for what we believe. And Lord, let me be someone who not, knows not just what I believe, Lord, but also why I believe it. Help me, Lord, to be able to provide reasons um, for the faith that I have. Thank you so much, Lord, for providing for every need. And I pray that uh, you would enable us to honor and glorify your name as we go throughout this week. And in your name I pray, amen.